You are listening to Perfect Learning with Clear Effect. Welcome to Perfect Learning, the podcast for learning development professionals and the L&D curious. I'm Tim Jordan, Director of Clear Effect Learning Solutions, and each episode I'm joined by learning and development luminaries who generously share from their experience and put their skills to the test with the Wheel of Training Challenge. This episode, we are joined by Wendy Bardsley, Group Learning and Development Manager from St. Vincent's Health Australia. Thank you for joining us, Wendy. My pleasure, Tim. Thank you. As this is our inaugural episode, I should probably explain that Wendy will be very generously giving us a bit of inspiration by taking us through one of her training challenges and how she surmounted it. And after that, we will be randomly selecting a huge training challenge and coming up with a strategy that will leave no one in doubt that the training requirements have been absolutely crushed. It's going to be a very exciting 20 to 30 minutes. Before we get into it properly, Wendy, could you give us a quick uh, introduction to your background in L&D? Sure, I'd be happy to do that. Back about a million years ago, I was a teacher for a very brief amount of time Mm -hmm. and realised that I didn't particularly enjoy the activity of teaching in a classroom, but I really loved the deciding what was going to be happen and the telling the story. So quite Mm. quickly, I realised that my future was not in perhaps classroom teaching, but still in education and learning. So I um, was lucky enough to get a job as a consultant, a a learning consultant way back in the early days of computer-based training, um, which tells you how old I am, which I will never admit to. And from there, um, really got an interest in distance learning and was quite a long time worked as a consultant. And then got a little bit tired of seeing, not seeing the end of the story, of Mm. not seeing what happened next. So about 13 years ago now, actually, I got a job as the learning manager at Melbourne Public Hospital for St. Vincent's and was the learning manager there for about eight years and then moved into my current role, which is a group learning and development manager role, which looks across the entire organisation. So we have, as as a large hospital, we've got public and private hospitals and also aged care facilities in Victoria, New South Wales and Queensland. So my role has a responsibility across that whole spectrum of the organisation for all aspects of staff learning. So it's it's a really great and exciting role and I sort of drifted into that kind of thing just through <laughs> realising what I didn't like doing actually nice. more than anything else. Who, what what uh, out of interest, what, what year level were you teaching? I was teaching, I was qualified in maths and science. I was teaching maths and science, but as a relatively junior teacher, I was teaching up to year nine and 10. So, um, oh, yeah, that's a terrible yeah. age. It's not surprising <laughs> at all. Exactly. Yeah, it was, it was, parts of it were great and I did love parts of it, but certainly was very cl- glad to get out of the classroom and start to use my, I guess, you know, the, the skills that I had that I think are, are, are greater skills than, than my classroom skills. Yes, and it's quite a broad sort of remit you've got because there's quite a range of services that you're supporting in in Simmons, don't you? Like, it should be a really good good challenge to work through every day. Absolutely, um, it's a health is a really really fascinating and diverse industry. I absolutely love working in health, and you've got you know the obvious doctors and nurses and allied health clinicians, mm. but you've also got all sorts of other people. So it's it's like a little microcosm in part of in an organisation. And St Vincent's Health Australia has around twenty thousand staff, and sure, the majority of those are nurses actually, but mm. and, and clinicians. But we've got so many other types of of staff. You know people who work in kitchens and people who cleaners and scientists and all sorts of people so it's a very diverse and fascinating organization to work in that's fantastic and it's good it's got to be like doesn't it to keep it keep it challenging mm. keep it keep it different 
Absolutely, hence I've been there in the organisation sort of generally for 13 years, which is a very long time, I realise in today's world especially, but it's ever changing and there's challenges all the time and ways of doing things that, that mean that you're constantly doing new things. And occasionally pandemics. <laughs> yeah, just for something truly exciting. Just to spice things up. Mm. Let's get started with your training challenge. And I'll start off by getting you to take us back in time. What was what was the first sort of part of the problem or part of the challenge or the requirement that uh, led you on your road? How did it come across your desk? Well, health is an, is an interesting industry from a learning perspective. A lot of training and education happens in health all the time, but it's mostly focused around clinical education. So. Yes. Um, and, and also requirements. So there's a lot of mandatory training that has to be completed based around legislation and national standards, which are what's applied to allow hospitals to continue to be hospitals. Yep. So there's, there's always been a great focus on clinical education, but I guess where the problem first presented itself was there has never historically in our organisation, and I believe in a lot of other health services, never been a great ability in terms of resource and time and capacity to provide training for leaders and emerging leaders. Mm. So the problem first presented itself in terms of we really need to be providing better support and education and development for our leaders, particularly our frontline leaders, because they are the group of staff who have the most impact on our own staff, but also on our patients, because everything mm. in health comes back to providing excellent patient care yeah. and making sure that the patient experience is as good as it possibly can be. And that, to a large extent, is led by the frontline leader co cohort of people, because they, ha they are the ones right there, they're looking after the staff who are treating the patients, and also the staff in support services and who are supporting those staff and making sure that that patient experience is, uh, is an excellent one. And they're, they're setting the culture really there, like the base too, aren't they? I mean, they're, they're, Absolutely. They're very much the manifestation of the organisation's vision. Not, I'm not going to say vision and mission, that's the 80s. I could well, just say purpose know, and <laughs> as, as a Catholic health provider, we do very strongly talk about vision and mission. Yes. Um, so mission in terms of the mission that as a Catholic health provider, we are here to provide care to, particularly in our case, the disenfranchised and vulnerable. So mm. we, that's, a, that's an, a, a positive attribute of the way we sort of do business and, and the atmosphere that we try to create for our patients. Mm. And that is a very, so culture in our organisation, and I'm not so trying for any means to suggest that we're particularly unique in that, but culture is a very important, real, tangible aspect of what we do. And it, and it is very important to, to try and create and nurture that in all of our staff. And actually, interestingly, I don't think your like health is alone in in not necessarily providing that leadership training. I, I do actually see that as a bit of a gap everywhere. But yeah, definitely, you know, health. You've got people you know, literally dying around you. Sometimes mm. to step back and go, do you know what? Well, let's let's focus on our leaders. But it's definitely like a need, a strong need. So what what was sort of the first step in that process? Okay, well, there there were a few issues that that made one of the reasons why I suspect we hadn't really ever in the past done a great deal about this is that, you know, as I said, we've got close to 20,000 staff across mm. all of our facilities. Hospitals work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They don't take holidays, public holidays. Um, some staff do, obviously, but as a hospital, we function all the time for everybody. Yes. And we have people who work across a lot of locations in all hours of the day. So tr um, trying to 
provide education. Obviously, I'm I'm making the point that that online learning and distance approaches are absolutely we're the test case for <laughs> or ticking all the boxes for needing that. Mm. But further, so that would have been an obvious path to to follow to try mm. and provide this sort of training in in distance format. But one of the other really key things that created this made this a, a I guess an interesting training challenge was that one of the big things missing for a lot of people was the chance to meet other people and network and get to know how they fit within the organization mm. and to learn from others and share ideas yes. so it was there was a very strong sort of push for let's not just develop a whole heap of online modules for this because that's not that that will certainly fit half the remit which is mm. to educate people but it will miss entirely the other part which was to create and um, build relationships and a an under, greater understanding across the business of what each of the roles does and how they contribute to patient care because it's pretty obvious how a nurse contributes to patient care, for example. It might mm. be slightly less obvious how someone working in the kitchen, for example, contributes to patient care and the, how they... I mean, it's obvious from an intellectual perspective, but for them to feel that and to feel the contribution they make yes. in a world where everything is measured around patient experience and um, mm. satisfaction, that's something that's really important to try and build through this program. And so was that, did you then actually have kind of cross-disciplinary sessions? Yeah, so what we ended up doing was a set of workshops that were developed. So we developed 18 module, modularised workshops. Yes. As well, there was also a, a module for the line managers of participants and also one for the facilitators. So the, the idea of that was each module would be no more than two hours in duration as a workshop yep. and would be designed so that there was a level of consistency but that it was able to be tailored by local facilitators to meet the needs of that particular facility or area or group of staff or whoever yep. was going through it. Mm. And the idea was that the workshops could run as standalone or they could be put together in various combinations. So they could be run in, you know, as a couple of them together or a half day or a full day or in fact a number of days mm. together so that to meet whatever the needs were. So depending on the audience group, sometimes a half day or a full day was a lot easier to schedule than just going along to one single workshop. Yes. So that, that was the approach that we ended up taking and developed facilitator guides and participant guides as well as the educating facilitators who were local facilitators because this was one of you know the things to try and get local responsibility and local flavor into these and and yes. introduce their own case studies and scenarios and examples based on the the remit of care that they tend to give to their patients in that particular area yeah, yeah. so it, to answer your question in in some places where these were run they were very diverse groups of staff from you know, emerging leaders who were not actually yet in a in a leadership role from some parts of the business through to leaders who'd been, you know, managers perhaps for a number of years mm. um, across all different parts of, and of the organisation, different disciplines and different, you know, clinical areas and all that sort of thing. So the mix of that actually allowed what was one of the real benefits to occur, which was learning from each other. Yeah. So particularly some of, you know, some of the senior leaders love the opportunity to share things that they'd experienced and things that they'd learned and then and then made connections with some of the more junior leaders and out of it came some sort of benefits we hadn't really foreseen so some mm. unofficial mentoring kind of relationships and mm. opportunities to 
be more involved in activities in different areas and a greater understanding. So I'm, I'm painting a very rosy picture. This is not 100%, you know, of what happened every time it was run, but mm. there were certainly, it provided that opportunity to allow those connections to happen, which was, which was as I said, one of the real benefits and, and objectives of, of the program. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic because that's really, and, and obviously you can't force that. But, but it is an opportunity for it to happen and the people who, who are wanting to, to get involved and, and who are committed and interested, it'd be fantastic. Mm, um, absolutely. And, and as you say, you can't force it to happen, but often, you know, we found it was very difficult even to have an opportunity for it to happen. And so sometimes I think creating the opportunity just allows it to happen naturally, which is far more effective anyway, I think. Mm. And so there was, was there, were there local facilitators in every... Uh, like every facility that you could get or was some people you had to some, sometimes ship someone in? Sometimes we shipped someone in but where as far as possible it was done through the the local people because they just had you know that understanding of the local flavour and in fact you know depending on the particular module some of them were around particular sort of areas of expertise so for example there were some HR related modules about you know managing leave effectively and some of those kinds of things and often in some locations they would be co-facilitated so they would have a facilitator but then a subject matter expert would come along and be there to to engage in conversation and answer questions and sort of help stretch and push people's understanding beyond perhaps what was covered off in in the session notes yeah cool and, and yeah and that would be sort of probably some of yeah like the salary conditions ir type stuff as well like some of the mechanics of that type of yeah yeah, yeah. how did you then kind of slice and dice the kind of because I, I love that approach of having was it 18 different kind yes of presentations? yeah 18 yeah, yeah. different topics mm. how did you kind of break that out how was that formed it was done through, uh, I guess, a number of different kind of processes. Some were pretty obvious things that you would just include in a, a program such as this. Mm. Some came from things that were going on in the organisation at the time. So, for example, I mentioned before managing leave and attendance mm. is, is a big issue at times for mm. every organisation and particularly managing peak and peak and trough air at times in in a health setting is yeah. tricky with rostering and all that sort of stuff and making sure that that's being done in a in a proactive way not a reactive way mm. so that was an issue that was going on at the time there was it's also there was some work done through largely through the learning functions and also the HR teams to reach out to existing managers and say what would you have liked to know when you were newly in this role? What are the uh-huh. things that you found difficult and what do you think a new manager needs to know? And then also to talk to people at the other end of, the, of that um, spectrum, which are the new managers, what are you struggling with? What, do you, what would you find useful to have more information about? What do you think you're missing? That's such so, a great process. Yeah. So it was a it was a real mix to come up with stuff that we thought they needed that they might not have realised they needed and mm. things that both ends of that spectrum were asking for. So that's where we came up with those 18. And I think, you know, we could probably go back and, you know, add several to it now, particularly maybe managing yourself in a pandemic and those yes. around you, for example. God, yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so – but generally the feedback that people have given – around these modules has been really positive and that they've they've really got value out of the just the conversations and and the opportunity to sort of hear and learn from each others has been really strong in the in the feedback as well was it um what over what time period did that happen it really varies so we've developed the program probably over the course of about sort of nearly a year 
by the time we sort of identified what was needed and we did some prototyping of how they would work and ran a few sort of pilot sessions and got some feedback and did all of that sort of stuff and each mm. of them the modules as was developed we tried to run a pilot with a group of staff who maybe needed that and and modify it and then it's it was then available to be used as appropriate in the facilities. So we certainly, we haven't mandated its use and we haven't dictated the way it needs to be used. Mm -hmm. So having it available and different facilities have done it in different ways. It's been in place for a few years now um, that mm -hmm. it's been available and it's, uh, last year aside, because everything was different and weird last yeah. year, prior to last year, uh, it was being run in number of different ways. So for example, one of our facilities ran it as in cohorts and they ran a five-day program using these modules, which would be done, you know, in, across five consecutive days and they mm. would run that a couple of times a year oh, for okay, different right. cohorts. So that's yeah, one yeah. way they did it. Yeah. And right at the other end of the spectrum, another of our facilities ran it as single modules once a month for as part of a, a briefing, a general manager's briefing that they did, they would run one of these modules and do mm. a different one every month. So, it, and everything in between. It's that's, that's the beauty of having such a flexible program and really leaving it to the needs of the particular organisations. And some of them, you know, some of the modules, there's one around preventing and managing bullying and harassment, for example. Mm. And so that one is used for particular areas where that's been established as an issue through the HR process, things like that. Yeah, that's really, that's great. And so how are new starters, like people who are kind of either new to management roles or kind of newly moving into it, like obviously you're not, you know, you're not mandating how it's used, but is there a sort of way that you're picking those people up? At this stage, not very effectively. Some of our facilities are really quite small and they don't have great influx of new managers. So one mm. of the things we're looking to do to try and pick exactly that up and also make this more accessible for a broader range of people is to look at moving to a more blended solution for the modules. So at the moment, they're fully workshop based. Uh, so what we're looking to do is to develop some online self-paced on-demand components of the modules, but then not lose that connection for people to come together. So one of the things we learned really well through last year, through the pandemic, was being able to use virtual processes and virtual classrooms to connect people. So yeah. one of the beauties that that's now, it's actually been a great benefit in a lot of ways, is that we can now have managers from different facilities even connect together. So it could be in the future, we might have new managers across a number of different facilities who can come together in this program, do parts of it in an on-demand capacity, parts of it virtually can, to connect them more broadly across the organisation mm. and then perhaps do components of it locally as well. So it, it opens up a little bit more flexibility in the way we can use the program and the types of uh, ways that we can lead new people into the, that role of manager and leader more effectively as they come on board that's yeah that's brilliant really, isn't it because then and then it can become actually much more of a kind of i mean you know what you've described is great and i think it's really good for kind of obviously getting the skills up but then you know building the culture and the networks but then that kind of additional layer of actually having it built in across their normal working life as well that it's mm. something that becomes you know you upskill a little bit you pick up a bit here you're kind of getting those connections and networks you're still getting the learning but it's part of your progression in to the role. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And one of the things, uh, you know, as a, as a group of a lot of different sort of workplaces, there's not such a 
a view, I guess, of, of the organisation as a whole. So this would give us the opportunity to grow that knowledge and, and help people understand that they're part of something that's bigger and more beautiful, I guess, in some ways than <laughs> yeah, yeah. what they might see as part of their own workplace. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. It's really, and something definitely to be proud of. It's a really good model. Um, and I'll, I'll thank you for sharing it. Pleasure. And now I'm going to spin the wheel of challenge, training challenge wheel. <laughs> And just so, like, I, I haven't I haven't shared this with you at all, but just to give you like some of the idea of the things we're, we're potentially looking at, we've got we've got software rollout, we've got culture issue, uh, specific skill shortage, underperformance, leadership failures, uh, new generation or next generation, and and the one I'm quite looking forward to is world ending. <laughs> <laughs> well. So I'm going to spin that, and we will contextualize that as best we can to, okay. to Saint Vincent's. And then the premise is that you've got unlimited budget and pretty much unlimited resources to deal with this thing. We want to really kind of brainstorm because what we're going to do is make this training challenge like something of such significance. It, it's a, effectively a threat to the organization. So you're going you're gonna to have everyone behind you going, Wendy, we're going to get this done. Otherwise, we don't exist anymore. Sounds brilliant. All right. Here we go. I'm spinning now. Oh. Oh, oh, underperformance. So you've got like chronic underperformance across like a whole range of um, professions and specialities at St. Vincent's. Sounds so the, dangerous to be a patient. Uh, it does. It's dangerous to be a patient. And or in anybody. there's no record keeping. Well, there is record keeping, but it's not reliable. What... Mm-hmm is the first step. It's, it's, it's threatening the very existence of St. Vincent's Health Australia. Yes, well, it would. Um, and underperformance in lots of areas. I guess we're including sort of financial under, underperformance as well as... Let's narrow it down to underperformance in the clinical perspective. There's really big issues in clinical performance. Okay. Yes, well, that is something, obviously, that cannot be allowed to continue for more than any time whatsoever because literally lives yeah literally lives are at risk so we haven't got a lot of time to come up with anything other than immediate interventions i think in this case and so yeah you've got like i mean it's really like it's weeks isn't it yes if that i mean depending on on the nature and extent i guess of the underperformance if anything in health anything that affects the well-being of a patient detrimentally mm. needs to be handled immediately you haven't mm. even got weeks so let i guess we would have to assume that it's it's not at that extreme level so it's not like a you know malpractice kind of thing or a yes. any immediate danger it's a more i i guess situation where there's there's more endemic i guess um underperformance across a period of time in, and, and there's been a number of issues and, and the issues are getting worse like the reported incidents are getting worse yeah yeah, yeah. So the nature of the, if they're clinical incidents, then a number of different areas would need to get involved in dealing with that situation who, who have the clinical expertise. So in, in hospitals, we've got, you know, the clinicians and the, and the leadership of the clinicians, but there's also other parts of the organisation like quality and risk, which looks after exactly those things, mm. uh, quality and risk, which look after, you know, the, the issues that are about... Uh, compliance with regulations and with clinical standards and those kinds of things in a more general way. Mm-hmm. And then the other area that would probably get involved in that, depending on the nature of, of the 
issues going on would be potentially HR, possibly work health safety, and you know, possibly other other disciplines if that's needed as well. And so I think we've, the, we've got a council. We yeah. have a council. Yeah. And so the we've, council. We've... Yeah. And I think the council needs to come together very very quickly yep. to understand exactly what's going on mm-hmm. and to work out the way that that needs to be remedied. So, so it's it's immediate analysis. So you want to kind yes. of get that council of people together, and we've got like all the you know, as best the documentation we can of the incident, yep. and and we're seeing now we're going to work through those step by step and and figure out. And we want to know if it's how many issues are, mm. are present here. Are we are we dealing with just because presumably it's a lot of issues it's 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 a it's, it's at least three feeding in we've got you know people have become disengaged and some people haven't been trained adequately and lack of supervision yeah likely and and some other you know cause things might be are there other things going on for people like for example at the moment there's a lot of people who are very tired and have had who've worked really hard for a whole year looking after people who are very sick so yes. is there something like that going on that's creating an atmosphere or or an unnatural way of behaving so mm. if it if it used to be good and it isn't good anymore, what's caused yes. that change? What, yes. So real, a bit of a root cause analysis into what's going on because often the, the symptoms and the behaviours are not really, the, as in you know, good health practice, mm. you don't treat the symptoms, you treat the cause. And that's yes. the same as what we would need to look at here. What is actually causing this, this problem to occur? Is it, is it a staff member who's, or a group of staff members who've come in and created some issues or is it procedural things that might need to be fixed and changed? Is it mm. um, things around local location of equipment or medication or any of that kind of stuff that needs to be Mm. looked at. So I guess what I'm saying is I would not, this particular situation, I wouldn't necessarily approach just from an educational training perspective. I'd be looking at other organisational and operational issues that might be impacting as well. And so we've, and and just just to kind of like game this out and make it a bit more tangible. So Mm -hmm. that that war council, you're right. it's, it's, It's definitely some procedural issues. So the procedures are going to change. Yep. And there are some sort of fairly significant kind of issues of, you know, both of disengagement and of just kind of like being exhausted in some cases. Mm. So there'll be organizational changes. We're going to get, you know, we're going to revisit those procedures and make them better. How then do we tackle the other bits and pieces from a training perspective? Mm. Well, I guess the new procedures would have to be loudly and clearly pr- proclaimed to people so yes. a range of mechanisms for doing that including i guess you know your traditional kind of here's the new stuff but also mm. you know all singing or dancing posters and people on hand to support and that sort of thing and i think so uh, you know those procedural kinds of things are relatively easy i guess to mm. deal with and and inform people of but i think the the harder and more interesting side of things is helping pick up morale which is which is kind mm. of what i think we're saying the other side of it might be you know the 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 feeling that things are not as good as they should be and that's obviously a you know a real issue facing a lot of people and it's mm. it's a difficult thing to deal with and i think it has to be also multifaceted i think people have to feel seen and understood and, and um, have their 
their issues heard. So that's yes. part of it, providing a mechanism to do that. And mm. then not just listening, but doing something with that. So if things come from these people that can be actioned and worked on in a really obvious and tangible way, then that mm. would absolutely be what should happen. Mm-hmm. And and possibly some other things more around the well-being side of things, helping people to take opportunities to get a better balance in in their work life yeah. supporting feeling supported feeling that there's then it isn't just work and it isn't just bleak and and trying to bring people together and have them understand each other better so that they feel respected and seen and and understood in the workplace as so they don't don't just you know take issues out on other people and see each other as individuals in all of that mm. so the procedural stuff's pretty straightforward mm. we just get really loud and clear on that Yep. And we've got people there already hands-on going like, yep. all right, you're doing it wrong. And probably like first up, you know, the immediate kind of instruction, isn't it? It's like, you know, we're actually literally going to walk you through this and you yes. need to do this. And then the, the the actual, the broader kind of valuing of people is much more interesting. So you it's more of a dialogue. We're kind of getting people, possibly even a forum or, mm. or either, either a forum or individual interviews to mm. get that information and then designing around that but like you know what will be a given is that you know if people are feeling disconnected they need to be they need to be heard and then to be acted on but then also they need a bit more of investment in their own well-being and that will be what sort of form do you see that taking to, to actually kind of get that message through I think it depends on the group of people and I think mm. that's what's really actually important about it is that I wouldn't want to step in and say to fix a problem of morale we're going to do x instead of listening to them so I think part of the, the the beauty of this would be having them help suggest what would make them feel better that sounds mm. a bit sort of you know broad and and a bit kind of possibly ridiculous but I think the the, the most effective way of helping people feel better is for them to feel noticed and understood mm. and to do that we would need to have different interventions perhaps based around what they would feel. So it might be a group feels they're very disconnected from their work colleagues because they haven't had time. So maybe it's a matter of giving them some time to spend mm. together, bringing them together in ways that just allow them to reconnect and speak and, and feel part of something again. That might mm. be one of the approaches. And that's relatively simple and not and, and not particularly expensive, although we could, you know, send them to an island in the Bahamas if cost yes. is no... <laughs> Cost is no object, you know, and it might sometimes it's very simple things like equipment is old or equipment is not working properly. Let's buy them some new stuff so that they, mm. that makes makes their world easier because mm. a lot of these things uh, are not. I mean, this is not this is not education. This is not training, yeah, but yeah, it yeah. might. But it could be helping them understand how to manage situations in themselves better so there could be a place for education in terms of self-awareness and um, connection with others and understanding individual differences and those kinds of things could be built into some kind of program that's done in a really positive glowing way instead of, some mm. of those programs tend to come across a little bit punitively I think yes, absolutely. and I think you know to do this well it would need to be done by you know really really effective and emotionally intelligent people who can take the punishment out of it and make it into a really positive sharing experience with full of lots of I'm going to use the word love it's a ridiculous word to use in this context but I think if we're talking about nurturing and creating well-being it's got to come from that 
place and feeling of, of, of actually really genuinely caring. And so okay. whatever that took for that group of people, I think is what we would need to look at doing. And, and just sort of the emotional investment in it, I think, isn't it? Mm. Like it's kind of like we, we actually, it's, we're not just doing this because there's issues. We're doing this because we're invested in you as people. Yeah. And it's beyond just KPIs. It's beyond just, you know, we actually want you to feel good in your job. Exactly. And, yeah. Yeah. Because if it's just done as a way of we've got a problem with this this thing and we're going to do this to fix you, we're going to mm. give you, we're going to train you, which is seen as a punishment, mm. that is really counter to the whole purpose of what this should be about. So it needs to take all that kind of away from it and make it into something that is truly valuable and truly effective in making people feel better. If that's, if that's what we've established as the problem, that they're mm. not feeling like they want to be there anymore, we have to make them feel that again. And then you don't do that by punishing, by punishment training. So um, it's just like, you're just saying that it's just interesting. Like, I mean, when did training become a punishment? When did learning? <laughs> and it's, it is often like that kind of like, it isn't it's often a knee jerk reaction or it's a reaction to an issue that's come up. And so mm. it kind of feels like a kind of cause and effect, like a, you know, I've done something yeah. wrong and now I it, have to be trained. <laughs> exactly. And I, I, you know, I don't know if this is true of, of a lot of places, but I, it's certainly true in health. Uh, traditionally, and I'm not saying I'm not just talking about St. Vincent's Health Australia here. Absolutely. Don't, mm. I want to distance myself from saying this about this organisation, but I think in general, a lot of organisations, someone makes a mistake once 10 years mm. ago and the answer to that is, right, we've got to train everybody annually forever about yes. this one thing because one person made a mistake 10 years ago yeah, and that yeah. that never gets questioned. And that's where punishment, training as a punishment comes in because people see it that way. They say, you know, they understand where that's come from mm. and most of the time, most people are doing it right. So, which is regardless of the training, they're doing it right anyway. So mm. the training is, is an ec extra impost and quite often, one of the things, you know, I guess my passion in and legacy, if I can leave it anywhere, is to try and help people understand what what learning and education can be instead of what mm. it often is, which is that knee-jerk reaction to a problem, let's give them some training and fix it, which it mm. never does. And that mm. is so much underselling what the value of training can actually be and, and education. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's really, like, if you can get – because, you know, from, from as a sort of default position people love to learn mm. like you know kids love to learn and then you know we kind of beat it out of them in schools uh mm. for years and years um but it's just you know that i mean I've, I've had three kids and all of them want to learn it's just it's a natural instinct you want to you know you, it's a constant desire for it and and we it's it's almost like it gets beaten out of us for various yeah. means but it's like when you actually step back and take a lot of that kind of cultural overhead and that overlay that weighs mm. you down about learning, it's it's exciting. It's cool. Yeah, it is. And it's really interesting how people what people do in their own space and their own time. They are constantly Googling things, they're constantly finding mm. out stuff, doing different things. But as soon as you tell them in a school or a university or a work context, right, you've got to do education, it's like, oh no, I don't want to yeah. do that. That sucks. Yeah. And and I think that is such a sad thing that we've managed to build into everything about the way we formalize learning. Yeah. We've lost we've we kill the desire and the interest and the excitement in people through the processes that we use and the approaches we take and the the clinical and I'm not talking clinical in the health sense yeah, I'm yeah, just yeah. that that cold kind of calculated way we go about it 
kills their desire. And I think if we could get that back somehow and still manage, sure, there are boxes that have to be ticked. There's compliance that's important. There's stuff that has to happen. But if we mm. could build the excitement and help people see the see and feel the relevance. I firmly believe you don't learn anything unless you feel something. And I'm not talking about feeling joy or love or anything. You just got to feel a connection. Mm. And it, we are, we're not doing that enough, I'd say, in, the, in our entire profession. Mm. And I'm sure there are pockets where it's happening brilliantly. But as a, as a whole, I think because it's hard and and because it it's not what anyone's used to and because often we're up against you know organizational hierarchies and expectations that it's really hard to battle against and to fight mm. and to try and put this other view towards things that really and I think I'd be I'd love one day to do this study but to to have two you know basically similar groups of people one who gets no education at all and one who gets the traditional sort of education and I bet on a lot of measures there would be no difference which would yeah. suggest to me that the training we do has little value and I think that's a shame. We've got hundreds and thousands. Yeah. <laughs> There's thousands of learning professionals I think who who would be horrified to hear me say that. Yeah. So I do apologize if any of them are listening, but um, I think you know I, I think a lot of what we do is not as effective as it should be. I guess yeah. is the is the pared down slightly less um, violent way of putting it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, and I think, you know, if we could somehow be effective, create that learn that desire and excitement for learning, then we would really be doing something valuable.